Coyne. And I'm Jacqueline. Welcome to Talk Bookish to Me. The podcast where friends get together and talk about books. Happy Monday, y'all. I hope you had a relaxing weekend and you're ready to tackle another week starting with today's episode. Jacqueline and I love thrillers. It's definitely the genre we chat about most often, so expect us to talk about them often. In today's episode, we're going to talk about thriller tropes, which ones we like and which ones we don't. We'll also be recommending some thrillers for beginners. It's going to be an informational episode. I hope you're ready. But first, let's chat about what we're currently reading. Gwen, do you want to go first? Sure. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about today's book. Um, I'm ta- I'm reading The Sound of Gravel, a memoir by Ruth Werner. And it's the story, her story, of her childhood growing up in a polygamist family. And I'm about halfway. And I just find this topic, obviously, it's something that I don't have a personal connection with. Um, I don't know any polygamists. So it's always something I see on the news or read about. Um, And this time, I'm glad I'm getting like a firsthand account. Like it's not like a fiction book. It's actually, you know, nonfiction because it's a memoir. Um, so I really like that I'm getting like a behind the scenes and it's just, it is sad because it's not an adult telling I'm in a, you know, it's from a child's perspective almost like it's her as an adult telling her childhood story so far. I'm only about halfway, but I'm really, really enjoying this. And I actually got this recommendation from you. So I'm just really excited to finally read it. I know you said it was like super emotional for you and it is, I mean, I don't even think I've gotten to the really emotional stuff yet. And I'm just embracing myself. Cause I mean, it's just, it is sad. Maybe it's cause I don't understand. And you know, my religion is so different from this, but it's just oh, it's such a good book. And it actually, it does kind of read like if you don't le- read a lot of nonfiction or memoirs or anything, I think you can easily pick it up if you just read fiction. Yeah, I agree. It, it doesn't feel like one of those, I mean, it's heavy, but heavy as in like the emotions. It's not heavy as in, you know, it's hard to get through like a most nonfiction books are. Yeah. It's not like facts or it's not like that. It's more like a story. Right. And I think she was just really good at being able to tell the story, especially since it was most of her childhood. But yeah, definitely the second half is when, at least I know definitely (laughs) the last like quarter is when I was like, bawling my eyes out (laughs) because I feel like what I I feel like you just get so attached to the characters like she's really good at at you know you you know a lot of her siblings and like what everyone has gone through and so yeah it was very emotional for me for me I know and I also think what's really cool is I'm listening to it on Scribd and the Mm -hmm. author reads it so and how she's able to be composed and tell this yeah. story I guess she has like enough separation from when things happen till now but I'm just like it just makes it so much more powerful having the author read a book or in this case the her memoir it's just it's so powerful yeah I listened to the audio too while I read it physically and I think that's another like with listening to the audio I don't know it, you just feel more connected I think because of like hearing someone talk Mm -hmm. about it instead of you just reading it on paper Mm -hmm. yeah I agree so what are you reading so I'm actually liking my current read too I am reading The Night Swim by Megan Golden yes is her name yeah and I only have like a quarter of it left it's so good yeah it's getting 
it's getting better um, because I was listening to it just on audio because I had, while well, I was driving, you know, to work over the weekend and stuff like that. And then I got a bunch of like chores and cleaning the house and stuff done. Um, so then today was the first day that I actually got to sit down and physically read it. And already like, I don't, I'm just, just such a visual person. So, you know, I turned on the audiobook and I, you know, got like one page through and I was like, oh my gosh, like, cause I'm vlogging right now. I was like, I have to stop the camera. Like what this says right here is like, so I don't know, like important, I guess. I don't know. It was just, it's just such a crazy book. And I mean, it's obviously full of a lot of trigger warnings. It's not for everybody cause it deals with like a rape victim's case and how, how people like figure out or I don't know, like how people are represented and figuring out if they're guilty or not guilty. Mm-hmm. And so much is like messed up with the whole like judicial system, yes. I feel like, re- after reading this book. Yeah. So I am really like, I think it's like getting better and faster because I actually just listened to the victim's side. Mm-hmm. And that was like really hard to listen to but like very emotional to listen to so but I love books that bring out that like type of emotion so this is a really good book for me it's not going to be a good book for everybody though right I definitely think that the topics explored in this one are pretty heavy um people have come to me knowing that I've read it and said hey like how much darker does this get um because it does cover a lot a lot of people recommended to me a while ago a YA story um the female of this species by Mindy McGinnis and I did read that book and I disagree with that as a good depiction of discussing rape culture the the judicial system and kind of everything that goes into just like women saying like or men you know saying I was raped and then people believing them or not believing them and the community how they weigh in and how you know the jury is picked and how they decide just everything this one I thought was like such a better representation and actually got me thinking about Things that I never thought about when I read that book. Um, it, you know, it does cover the rape. So definitely, you know, trigger warnings for that and stuff. But I just really, really liked it. And plus, like, the podcast elements. Obviously, I'm a fan of podcasts and books. I am seeking more thrillers specifically with podcast elements. So if anybody has any recommendations, send them my way, please. Yeah, it reminds me of Sadie, but I actually DNF'd Sadie because I guess it was just because it was a YA thriller. I don't know, but it, I was just really bored with that one. But this one's different, and I do like that podcast element. I also I love her like tagline where she's like, she's like, you know, this is Rachel Crawl or whatever. She's like, where I put you, you in the jury box. box? Oh, I don't yeah. know something like. That. Yeah, I know. It's so good. I was like, ooh, me and Gwen need to figure <laughs> out. <laughs> Like something cool. Like, like, yeah, yeah. I know. I really liked that too. So today's topic is all about thrillers, the literary tropes that we see, the ones that we like, the ones that we don't. And I don't want to assume for anyone that you know what it is. A literary trope is used to describe a commonly reoccurring literary or rhetorical device, motifs, or cliches in creative works. So there's quite a few used in thrillers. Sometimes an author will use more than one. And today we're going to discuss the ones that we commonly see. Okay, so jumping into the first one, we have the main character can't leave well enough alone. This is when the main character keeps obsessing and forcing themselves into a situation, usually not of the good variety. There's a fine line between enough and too much, and sometimes they just can't help it. I feel like I also see this a lot in like horror movies. 
Yes. <laughs> but for a book example, that would be The Girl on the Train by Paula Hawkins. Yeah, I think she initially sees something and then she just has to know. You know, like even though she's kind of the outsider to the actual drama that is going on, she just has to find out. And she keeps, you know, inserting herself into the situation. So I think that's a really good example of the first one. The next one um, that I think we could talk about a lot is A Dark Past and Buried Secrets. I always feel like we're getting those books that says, this happened 15 years ago or whatever like that. So it's super popular because it easily builds suspense. It's typically stretched out over the entire course of the book to keep you on the edge of your seat. Um, but it can be a major hit or miss for readers because the entire experience of the story relies on what the character's dark past or what secrets they had buried. So I hate when I'm reading a book and I'm loving it, loving it because I'm just on the edge of my seat and then I find out what it was and I was like, for real though? Like... That wasn't great. So an example of that is You Are Not Alone by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. Wasn't a super fan of that book um, because I really, it was, I was like, what am I reading? What is going to happen? But then the reveal really let me down. Of course, there's good examples out there as well. um, But I just really wanted to highlight how you could really kind of be enjoying a book and then be let down once the reveal actually happens. I agree. And I think along with that sometimes is it will switch too often or too much and I'll be liking like maybe the present Mm -hmm. day of it or the past of it and I don't like the other side of it like the past or the present. I just want to read from like that one Mm -hmm. time period. The next one is one story from two perspectives or multiple POVs. So this one I feel like can be done well or also not well, where there's like too many POVs. But this is two perspectives are better than one. Multiple points of view allows you to see what's happening from various angles and it keeps you guessing and intrigued. Plus there are many ways this can be done. The chapters can alternate back and forth or half the book can be done in one perspective and the last half from another perspective. There's an example of the one by John Mars. Another example is Bad Mommy or I Can Be a Better You by Taryn Fisher. It has like two different titles, but that one has like three different perspectives. I don't know. When these are done really well, I really like them because of the fact that when I'm reading about crazy people, I guess I would say, I don't know, like (laughs) unstable people. I don't know. I don't know what I'm reading about, but just the characters in a thriller book, whatever you want to label those as. I like to see how everyone is thinking, I guess, and not just how one person is thinking. Yeah, I definitely think it depends, like you said, like how even going back to the buried, you know, secrets and dark past, it depends on if I'm enjoying both parts. I really am frustrated when you need, like, let's just go with the dual POV. If I need both perspectives to put the entire story together but I'm only enjoying half the story that becomes really annoying Um, but in the one there's several perspectives in the guest list there's several perspectives by Lucy Valley Um, I liked all of them or I liked enough of them that I never felt like oh my gosh let me get through this I just can't even stand this person's POV because I don't think that the author would add a person's POV if they didn't have something important to add to the story so all of the POVs are important but when I'm bored in one of the POVs I may gloss over that because I'm not really paying attention as well so yeah I really I do like it um 
I, I think I like it more in thrillers more because I feel like I'm trying to discover something or find something out. I do sometimes like it in contemporary and other genres, but I more like it in thrillers than other genres. The next one is untrustworthy main characters or character and unreliable narrators. So <laughs> nothing is more suspenseful than not knowing who you can trust when you're reading. And when I thought about this trope, I thought about that Queen song, you know, is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Yeah, that's that I was like, this is that trope. Um, so it's interesting because I think in thrillers, you kind of automatically go in thinking like who can I trust who's the bad guy who's the good guy so I think you automatically or at least I do I go into thrillers like already not trusting people but then when it's clear that they're like hiding things or they tell you like I'm hiding stuff you're like what are you hiding so a perfect example of this is a recent read for me he started it by Samantha Downing loved that book and I just thought the unreliable narration in there and then there were siblings as well that you were like or am I knowing the whole truth of what's going on behind that um, because it was just told from one perspective but it flipped back and forth between like the past and the present kind of and so you just never knew like are they telling me the truth about this person are they making this up what are you lying to me about it was really good yeah this is definitely one of my favorite tropes but and I do feel like it is done pretty often like for instance uh the woman in cabin 10 the girl on the train the wives by taryn fisher mm -hmm. um there's i mean there's there's so many mm -hmm. but yeah i think and this one i think is also people either like it or they don't because this is one of my favorites mm -hmm. and recently i found out that my sister does not like it like every book that i've given like every thriller book that i've given her to read she's like <laughs> this is stupid i don't like this and i'm like okay i'll stop giving those to you now <laughs> Yeah, I think the problem is, is that it just, it's such a trope that lends itself to thrillers because you want it to be thrilling. And obviously, if they just tell you everything at face value, that's not going to be very thrilling. So it definitely lends itself to the genre. Okay, next one is twist after twist after twist. Now, this, is, done, my, this is my favorite. <laughs> yeah. This is my favorite. If done right, this one never gets old, especially when there are all these juicy little plot twists in it that keep the direction of the plot or your theory of who done it changing all the time. So this one is definitely like, for example, it would be The Last Time I Lied by Riley Sager. I do remember like thinking I knew what was going to happen and then another twist happened, you know, I, and I like that. I do really like that. I also feel like No Exit uh, by Taylor Adams also did that where you mm -hmm. think or especially with the ending of that one. Like mm -hmm. you, you think that the ending is one thing and then you're like, I have to go back and like reread this because I really think that it's something different. Yeah, or but. Behind Her Eyes by Sarah Pembroke. That oh, last yeah. line just kind of changed. You think you know the whole time and it's like, just kidding, you have no idea. And then it just makes you rethink the entire book. I'm Thinking of Indie Things by Ian Reid. That's a book you think think you know like it's such a strange weird book but you think you know but you have no idea so yeah I this is this is my favorite because I love twists and thrillers that's why I love thrillers so if I get one twist great if I get two twists even better if I get three twists I'm on a roll I'm loving it so love it yeah I I like this one if it's done throughout the book. I don't like when you, it's like a slow book and then all of a sudden the last like quarter it's like twist and twist. 
because mm-hmm. then I feel like it just took me a really long time to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love, I love when there are thrillers where like there's a twist in like the first quarter of it and I'm like what there was one that I read that was like that it was called The Secret She Keeps by Michael Robotham and it was like the first quarter of it already there was this twist and I was like oh didn't see that coming (laughs) I yeah I definitely I hate when thrillers like mentioning you know how you were saying at the end I don't like when thrillers wrap up too quickly I like a little bit of time to kind of settle into the ending so if you do get too many twists piled on top of each other you don't get to appreciate the twist so and you're just already twisted again and then you're like okay what did I just read so yeah I like when they're kind of space I mean I don't mind if they happen at the end as long as you take like a hundred pages to do it instead of like two pages the next one is blurring the lines between hero and villain forget about clear-cut good versus evil this trope is all about blurring the lines think good good guys with a bad side or bad guys that aren't all bad, um, that they're just like misunderstood. A character writing that line between hero and villain keeps you guessing. I couldn't think of a thriller that I've read, but one that I've watched and I know is a book is The Talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. This is one of my all-time favorite movies like of all time. It's probably like number one or number two and I know I need to read the book. I know people have been telling me for 10 years to read the book. Um, But yeah, I I do like that trope where you, you know, it's, there's not a clear cut good person, bad person. It's kind of like this good person has a little bit of bad and this bad person has a little bit good. I would say that the like bad mommy or I can be a better you, the same book by a different title uh, by Taryn Fisher kind of does that where I didn't know who to root for because of the three different people they all were kind of not that great people so I guess like that's kind of an example but I do see this done a lot I feel like in movies because it's like that's the twist of the movie all the time but I think that definitely more books could be written like this way yeah I definitely I don't think I've like I said I don't think I've explored this trope enough um but I movies is something that I see it often in so if you guys have any recommendations for that like the blurred lines between hero and villain let us know okay the next one we have is the the locked room all of the doors and windows are locked but somehow a dead body is found inside was it suicide or something far more sinister an example of this would be and then there were none by Agatha Christie I know that also this movie on Netflix called Hush really reminds me of this trope because it's about this deaf girl and she's in her house and an invader is trying to get in and so you know she's kind of like or she you know it tries to lock herself in her house so that way he doesn't get in but it's hard to like hear what's going on another one that i think goes with the locked room is being trapped together forced proximity and people are dying who can you trust invitations to secluded resorts cabins hotels islands what could possibly go wrong let me tell you everything can go wrong so one example of this like if you're looking for like a snowy type story is no exit by taylor adams which i'll be talking about later because that's my favorite um but yeah i love it's like forced proximity where you're you know snowed in at this rest stop or you know um, another example is the guest list by lucy fowley where they're Wedding guests are invited to this island, so you're on the island for an event. Some of the ones that I thought of were The Cabin at the End of the World, which I really like that. That's by Paul Tremblay, and they're kind of, like, stuck in this house because these 
I guess, intruders, Mm -hmm. these end-of-the-world intruder people (laughs) come up and they're trying to, like, get inside the house that you're in. So that one's, like, really scary because of it being just in that one room. Yeah, and they're then another held hostage, yeah. Yeah, they're held hostage, yeah. And then another one is called The Escape Room, which is by Megan Golden, which is the same author of The Night Swim that I'm currently reading. I did not like her Escape Room book that much to me, but I know that some people did really like it. It's about these, like, four or five co-workers that all get stuck in this elevator together like they went to like do this escape room but it's like in the form of an elevator and then they don't get let out and they're in there for quite some time and they're trying to figure out like how to survive how to get out and then of course they start hating each other because all these secrets and codes and all this kind of stuff is coming out so yeah the concept is really good uh it was a little too slow for me which is why i didn't like it very much um but some people really like that one yeah i i do i think i do like this trope both the locked room and Mm -hmm. being trapped together kind of reminds me of like clue yeah there's actually a movie called the escape room which is really really good i don't think it's on netflix or anything i think i got it from the library but i was very surprised at how good it is because it is like this group of people that go into this like escape room and they have to try and get out and then and like people are actually dying okay so the next trope we have is called creepy kids think about taking a seemingly perfect job just to find out that the kids are crazy and everything is not as perfect as you thought some examples of this would be the lies we told by camilla way i also read baby teeth by zoje stage i think that's how you pronounce it i'm not sure if you pronounce it that way and then there's one that i want to read that has that same concept but i haven't picked it up yet it's called the perfect child by lucille berry and i've heard that that one is actually a lot better than baby teeth i was not a fan of baby teeth i don't think i actually like this trope very much because to me it's just like bratty children not actually creepy children yeah i'm not a fan of this um trope i've only read one um which was the lies we told by camila way and i did think it was quite interesting like that perspective but it was almost annoying i was like why is this child acting like this so it was a little annoying to me rather than like creeping me out building suspense so not a fan of this trope but i know a lot of people out there really do like that one so next we're going to talk about the spouse is out to get me trope. Something sinister is brewing between the husband and wife and you can't quite put your finger on it. You've said I do and the real side of your spouse is revealed or it's all in your head or any amount of things that you could think like the spouse is out to get me. The first one that comes to mind for me on this one obviously is Behind Closed Doors by B.A. Paris. But I've read a lot of these books. Um, I just I love this. Yeah, me too. This is one of my all-time favorites. And I would say The Last Mrs. Parish definitely fits into this. Mm-hmm. I would say The Other Woman by Sandy Jones also fits into this. The Perfect I would say, Wife by J.P. Delaney. Oh, I haven't, yeah, I haven't read that one yet. But I that's on my list. I need to read it. I would say also that maybe The Wives by Taryn Fisher kind mm-hmm. of falls into this also. Mm-hmm. I think I like this trope because domestic thrillers are actually some of my favorite. I know that a lot of yes. people don't love domestic thrillers as much. For me, I'm a domestic thriller girl through and through. Yes, me too. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And there's so many there's so many sub genres or subplots that you can get out of this one trope. There's so many other things that could be added in to make it different from the 
you know, a different book. So I just, it's one of my favorites. I think I also really like it because it seems more realistic to me. Like you do actually see this happen in real life mm-hmm. or you think in your head like, ooh, what if this does happen to me? What would I do? <laughs> yeah. You know, compared to more of a crime thriller, I feel mm-hmm. like this I can relate to more. Not, mm-hmm. Alvin is a nice guy. Okay, you guys, I promise. <laughs> Okay, another one of my all-time favorites is the memory loss slash amnesia trope. A witness has memory loss, the protagonist has memory loss, the victim could have memory loss, everybody is confused and doesn't remember what happened. That's the idea of this like amnesia or partial amnesia type of trope. And I don't know why this one I love so much. Again, I think that it's like a hit or miss for a lot of people but for me I think I like it because of course they can't tell you the full story so you're always surprised at what the full story is but an example of this would be Sometimes I Lie by Alice Feeney I love that book it's one of my all-time favorites I definitely like it because I like that they can also start like rebuilding their life Mm -hmm. and you think oh okay oh they went through something bad and they had amnesia and now you know they're rebuilding their life and it's like their past comes back to haunt them or there's just so many different ways to handle this. There's a good one called Before I Go to Sleep and this one was also made into a movie a couple years ago but it's actually really really good. It's about like this lady that wakes up every day her memory is reset so she like doesn't remember anything except for what happened that day and she like has she like writes in a journal but again this goes back to like is my husband a good guy so it fits in that trope too I totally forgot about that (laughs) one but it's good yeah I really really like that one another one that I've had hit or miss you know relationship with is the inheritance plot um someone dies and their will summons you to their grand estate what do you do you're down on your luck and this money could change everything so you pack your bags and you're curious, and you need the money. So the first thing that comes to mind with this is The Death of Mrs. Westaway by Ruth Ware. There's definitely others like where you're inheriting, not necessarily maybe money, but uh, maybe you're inheriting a house like um, Home Before Dark by Riley Sager, um, or He Started It by Samantha Downing, an inheritance. So there's different ways this can be handled. And I've definitely had hit or miss, but I just like, it's It builds that mystery, you know, are you going to get the money? How much money? What's involved? What happened? You know, everything. Yeah, I definitely don't think that that is a trope that I go for. I tried to read The Death of Miss Westway and it was very boring to me, so I didn't have it. But I don't know, when I read the synopsis and it says about the inheritance, immediately I'm just like, nah, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the, well, I mean, it's not really a thriller, um, but Knives Out, that really popular movie. Oh, um, yeah. Everyone has loved... an inheritance, too. See? And that's and everyone, you're not a fan. No. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, Knives Out is such a great movie. And then I watched it, and I was like, this sucked. Yeah. I mean, it, w- it wasn't my favorite movie of all time, but it has an inheritance plot to it that, like, because especially if there's more than one person involved because you're like who's gonna get what who's gonna be mad i'm here for it (laughs) okay the next one we have is the deceitful expert the resident expert willing to lead the reader down the rabbit hole into the darkest recesses of the human mind pretty much like a psychologist doctor it could be a cop anything like that think clarice starling interviewing dr hannibal lecter in the silence of the lambs or an example for a book is The Silent Patient by Alex Michaelides, which I actually did read that book. And yeah, it does have that like 
is it a psychologist? I think it is a psychologist mm-hmm. where you don't know if you can actually like trust them. Like, are they the expert? Are they telling you the actual facts? Are they trying to help you out? Or is it the opposite where they're like all in it for the money or they're all in it for a different reason? Or they're trying to push the blame on like a patient or something like that. The next one is the country house. It's rarely just a house, whether it's an apartment in a city or a crumbling Victorian estate in the rolling hills, these buildings become characters in their own right. So we mentioned earlier the death of Mrs. Westaway by Ruth Ware. I think that is a great example. Also Lock Every Door by Riley Sager. Um, There's lots of times that there's a house or an apartment or a cottage or it just that becomes like just as creepy as the story that you're reading about like Home Before Dark by Riley Sager. That's definitely a trope that I don't like. I've read what I tried to read the death of Miss Westway but I read Lock Every Door and both Home Before Dark and I I just don't think that it's like creepy to me or I just don't like it very much. I don't know why. Yeah I guess like it just really depends. I think for me, it's not, it, that's not the scary factor. It's more of the, it sets the stage factor and it's being in a creepy setting type thing that is what works for me. Maybe it also is like, it's more of a historical fiction type of story normally. And I don't really like those that much. So maybe that also, like, I don't really care about the history of the house. Only a couple more. The next one is the whodunit or why done it. So whodunit is who the killer is, obviously, who did it. And the why done it is why did the killer do it? The final act concludes when all the pieces come together and the killer and the method are revealed. Sometimes authors like to spice it up and tell us who the killer and victim are early on so you can spend the rest of the story unraveling the mystery as to why. An example of this would be The Secret History by Donna Tart. I actually don't prefer them to give me the, like, the answer right in the beginning. I I actually am like, I want it to be flipped where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm spending the whole story or spending the whole time reading it, figuring out like, well, what did happen? I don't really like when it's like, this happened and here's how we got there. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it does make sense. Um, I think it can be done really well and I'll give you an example of that in a second, but um, I do prefer finding out who done it rather than why they did what they did. But an example of this is You by Caroline Kepnes. You know immediately that Joe is the antagonist of the story. Um, and then you're kind of figuring out, you know, why he's doing the things he's doing. And you're kind of just following along like in his footsteps. Um, so I think that was an example where I thought it was really well done. Um, but that's probably the only example I have for you because I do prefer whodunits rather than why whydunits. All right, so another example that I have for you is The Guest List by Lucy Fowley, a recent read for me. That's why I keep bringing it up. But it's kind of both. You're trying to find out who done it and why done it. You're f- because it leads you up to the accident and why but along the way, you're kind of getting the story that led you to that point. Does that make sense? I don't know. But in my head, it definitely makes sense. And I know one that you've told me about is An Unwanted Guest by Sherry Lapina. Um, I haven't read that one, but that's also like, I feel like a trapped story, like trapped room story. The last one that we have for you guys today is Trouble in Paradise. If something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Whether it's an exciting new assignment at work, a surprise honeymoon, or winning tickets to the Bahamas, the characters find themselves regretting everything and unable to escape a nightmare. 
perfect example, Verity by Colleen Hoover. And this one, she gets like the assignment of a lifetime to take over writing for a really popular author. She gets to the location that she's going to do this and stuff just starts going down. <laughs> Example that I have for this is the Roanoke Girls by Amy Angle, and this one is definitely really, really dark and could be triggering for some people. Um, but it the story is about this like granddaughter who is spending the summer or even longer with her grandparents and getting to hang out with her cousin, and it kind of seems like it's going to be all fun and rainbows, and it actually is very, very bad. Like her grandparents aren't who they seem and she goes through a lot of like very terrible stuff during that yeah that sounds really good that's definitely on my tbr list i definitely want to read that one sooner rather than later um so that wraps up our trope section i think we covered a lot of tropes that we see in thrillers gave you guys some examples if you have any um that you want to recommend to us definitely let us know but now i thought that we should jump into some recommendations for you guys because i don't know about you jacqueline but i get asked all of the time which thrillers someone should start with. So I thought it would be nice to recommend some. And do you have any that you would recommend? Yeah, I have a couple to recommend. Some of them are like some of my actual favorites. And then some of them I just think are really good for beginners. So the first one is The Guest List by Lucy Folly, which we've talked about multiple times so far. This one was one of my favorites. I think it was like a four and a half read for me. And then I just think it's also really good because it is the classic like whodunit. Everyone's on an island. A murder happens there's a wedding. It's very like atmospheric. And I think a lot of people actually would like this one. Christina McDonald is a really good thriller author for beginners. I think she has written, I think two books so far, and I read them both. One is The Night Olivia Fell and the other is Behind Every Lie. Both of these are about mother-daughter relationships, which I think is really good for a beginner thriller reader because they're not entirely dark and super triggering it's more of a relationship building thriller and so with the night olivia fell uh the daughter is it gets pushed off a bridge or they think she gets pushed off the bridge and they find out that she was actually pregnant so her mom is trying to like unravel that story and figure out what happens and behind every lie the daughter gets hit by lightning and doesn't remember what happens but people think she killed her mother so then again it's like a mother-daughter relationship then one of my favorites obviously is no exit by taylor adams i think all of us agree that like everybody in the world should read this thriller yes. so it's <laughs> it's really good it's one of those like trapped situations where this college girl is driving on her way home in a snowstorm and gets trapped at a rest stop with like five or six other people and there is a child kidnapper there with a child in the back of the van, but we don't know who the kidnapper is. So it's very thrilling. And then two other authors that I think are very good for people that are trying to, you know, get into thrillers. These aren't going to be like the best thrillers of all time, but I think that they are really good at writing a beginning like thriller story. Michelle Campbell, she's written, it's always the husband. She was the quiet one. There's even more like Stranger on the Beach and stuff. And I've rated all of her books around the four star mark because I think she is a 
really good writer and I feel like her books they're very easy to read it's not like one of those like in-depth you know crime thrillers or anything like that it's kind of like a feel-good type of thriller and they're mostly like domestic thrillers which I like and then Sandy Jones has written The First Mistake and The Other Woman and her new book I haven't read yet but again both of those are more domestic thrillers and so to me I think domestic thrillers are easiest to get into like when you're a beginner instead of the dark nitty-gritty like trigger warning thrillers. Yeah I've managed to narrow it down to just a few but I honestly believe that the best idea is to dive into what's ever popular at the time because I think that there's nothing better than reading a hyped book. So I have three recommendations and the good news is is that these authors have a backlist so I basically am recommending you everything written by this author. So the first one is Riley Sager. He wrote Final Girls. Um, while this particular book is not my favorite it's the first one published under this pseudonym. So so 10 years ago, college student Quincy Carpenter went on a vacation with five friends and came back alone. She's the only survivor of a horror movie style massacre. In an instant, she became a member of a club no one wants to belong to. So now we have a group of similar survivors known in the press as the Final Girls. Despite the media's attempts, they never actually meet until Lisa, the first Final Girl, is found dead. Um, so I think that Riley Sager's books, I love all of them. I definitely have, you know, a hierarchy, like ones that I like more than others. But I thought, like, why not start with his first one and just kind of read them in publication order or whichever order they're available in. I'm the opposite. Final Girls is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> that goes back to us, like, liking dissimilar things. Um, so the second author I want to recommend in the book is Ruth Ware. I think her books, every book kind of tackles a different trope so I think within her body of work you'll find something that you'll like it just depends you know what you like I didn't actually start with her first published work I'm recommending The Woman in Cabin 10 by Ruth Ware because this is the first one I read and it got me to go to her backlist and I've enjoyed her works it's all it's always been like a three stars or higher and the woman in cabin 10 low blacklock a journalist who writes for a travel magazine has just been given the assignment of a lifetime a week on a luxury cruise with only a handful of cabins at first low stay is nothing but pleasant but as the week wears on she witnesses something that can only be described as a dark and terrifying nightmare all right, the next one I want to recommend, another author, Jillian Flynn. Um, the one I would like you to read is Sharp Objects by Jillian Flynn. It's slower paced, but I think this one, I don't typically go for character study books or character driven books but what I liked about this one was the relationship of the characters specifically the mother-daughter um, so in this one a reporter faces a troubling assignment she must return to her tiny hometown to cover the murders of two preteen girls and also I watched the was it on HBO the mini series or whatever I really liked that I thought the acting was done really well and it really like set the stage um, yeah I just I really liked it, but it is slower paced. It's not as thrilling like twists and stuff like that. I also want to mention that there's a bunch of YA thrillers that you can read to dip your toes into the genre. I know that Karen McManus wrote One of Us is Lying and One of Us is Next. I've heard good things about A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson. And even if we break by Marique 
Nikum released earlier this month. So those are all wines I, you know, if you want to dip your toes, you're not ready to go full adult thriller yet, maybe you can check out some of those YA thrillers. I just read a YA thriller just this week. I actually listened to the whole thing on audio. It was a really great audiobook, but it's allegedly by Tiffany D. Jackson, who's the same author of Grown, which was actually just published like a week or two ago. And so I do, now that I've read like this book, I definitely, I added more of her backlist to my TBR because I loved her writing style. But this is definitely, I wouldn't say that this is like a great thriller book for beginners because it definitely was more dark and triggering. This is about Mary B. Addison who supposedly killed a baby. Allegedly, a white baby had died while under the care of a church-going black woman and her nine-year-old daughter. The public convicted Mary and the jury made it official, but did she do it? She wouldn't say. She actually had to survive the last six years in baby jail before being dumped into a group home. And then she finds out that she is pregnant at the age of 16 and they're not gonna let her keep her baby because of her past, but she's actually, like she gets a lawyer and is trying to like fight it's almost, it almost reminds me of the night swim where it's kind of like you're listening to a little bit of like the jury and what's going on mm-hmm. and the case and everything. And so I really liked it. I ended up giving it four and a half stars for a YA novel. It was phenomenal. Like I haven't had such a deep, you know, young adult thriller novel before. I really actually enjoyed it. So I went back and added a couple of her backlist titles. So that way I can read nice. those. Yeah. So do you have anything cool planned for this week, Gwen? Yes, I have a lot of things planned for this week. This is a really exciting week for me. Number one, Jacqueline, it's going (laughs) down this weekend. I'm so pumped. I'm going to meet Jacqueline in person for the very first time, you guys. It's going to be like a girls weekend, a wine weekend, if you will. I am so pumped. Um, It's going to be, you know, me and Jacqueline and a couple of our other friends. And we're just going to have like an adult slumber party and drink wine (laughs) and play games. And it's going to be so fun. So I'm really, really excited for this. Um, Jacqueline and I became friends like right at the start of the pandemic, a global pandemic. Let's be best friends. <laughs> and just so I've never had a chance to meet her yet. And obviously we see each other over social media and stuff like that. But being able to see someone in person and like, I know she's a lot taller than I am and I'm like really short. So I'm like <laughs> nervous, but I'm like so excited. So, I mean, <laughs> and I know it's like this weekend and today's only Monday, but my bags are packed. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm so ready. Um, I also have a couple of other things. So I am redoing my Animal Crossing Island to Jacqueline. No, you're not. Girl, <laughs> my husband was going to kill me. I Okay, so I obviously have been playing Animal Crossing since it released on March 20th. I haven't played since the original on the GameCube, but I've been playing religiously. Like, I have like 800 hours logged into this oh game. I'm, I'm like a hardcore player. <laughs> so the fall season is upon us, and I was like, this is a good time to strip my island and not start over from scratch, but start over from scratch. It's crazy. So I'm so excited about it. (laughs) And the last thing looking ahead is we're both currently working on the curly girl hair method for Mm -hmm. our hair because we both have curly hair. Our Mm -hmm. curl type is different, but we both have curly hair. Um, And you did that rice water protein rinse. Yeah. 
and the ends of your curls were so well defined and I feel like I have where the sides of my hair from from root to tip are really curly but the back of my head mm -hmm. is more frizzy wavy than yeah. it is curly so I think I want to try the rice water protein rinse I looked up how to do it and all of that I mean it seems pretty simple I do need a spray bottle so there's that yeah so the rice water rinse thing I just like cooked my rice like it said but the next time I do it I'm actually gonna ferment my rice I just wasn't patient enough to do it so you like let your rice sit in water for a couple days because they say that it's like more potent that way I think I'll do the fermentation one next um okay speaking of curly hair yeah like I've been so I made like a bullet journal spread so I could like figure out what products are working or like what I'm doing in certain order you know like that type of thing because like there are some day like there's sometimes where I like wash and do stuff and I'm like, whoa, this worked out really well. And then like, I'll be like, but I wanna try this like new product next or something like that. And then I do that and I'm like, ew, no, now my hair is ugly. I like that you're keeping track of your like the products that you're using and how you like them, if you need to repurchase them. Because sometimes, especially when you're trying out something new for the first time and a whole bunch of different products, because you you go to the internet and you're like, what product should I use? And everybody's hair is different. That's the reason why we're doing this journey in the first place. But then this person recommends this and this person recommends this and you're like, which one's the best for me? So yeah, I do think it's a little bit of a trial and error thing. I also mentioning the rice water protein rinse, I saw this graphic on the internet um, that talked about like, if your hair's doing this, this, it has the perfect balance if you're doing this then it it has not enough protein and if you're doing this it has too much protein and I was kind of like am I in the too much protein and I actually need to do the clarifying thing so like it's a whole thing I've got to figure this out <laughs> I know so I'm really excited for this weekend also because I can't wait to meet Gwen, obviously. And it is it is gonna be really fun. Like we're all buying like two bottles of wine and then we're gonna go buy a bunch of like really fancy cheeses at Aldi and make this like cheese board and like have our own wine tasting since everything's closed because of COVID. And then we're probably <laughs> gonna watch like movies and play games. And like she said, it's gonna be like an adult sleepover and I am so excited. I'm also excited because Gwen is going to give my hair a trim because like you said, that protein chart, I was like, I think I found something like that too and it was saying that like if protein doesn't like work to help some of your curls because what happens is like my ends aren't very curly um it's because you need a trim so I definitely think that it's because I need a trim and also my ends are so damaged from a really bad bleach job I had like a year and a half ago I'm still trying to recover from that but I don't want to cut off all of my hair I want to kind of do it slowly so I can keep my hair long but yeah, I'm working on trying to like figure out the best products for my curly hair. But I definitely think the curly girl method is just like great. Like I'm so glad that we decided to do this because mm -hmm. my hair is already healthier than it was two weeks oh, yeah. ago and a lot curlier than it was two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's it's great. So I'm really glad. I think I'll also have a better, I mean, I started this in like, was it the end of July or August? Like when it's blazing hot outside and I have the thickest longest hair you can imagine and I was like I have to put my hair up I'm sorry I have to put it up and you're not really supposed to put your hair up so much so especially with my type of curls so I was like maybe in the fall and winter it'll be better because I won't have that need to put my hair up so much Thanks for listening to today's episode all about thrillers. We hope you added one or two new books to your TBR stack. Don't forget you can reach us at talkbookishpodcast at gmail.com 
or on Instagram at TalkBookishPodcast. We'd appreciate it if you could take the time to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and share it with your friends. We'll be back every other Monday for more bookish talk. Come back and join us again in two weeks. Until next time, happy reading. Mm -hmm.